Welcome to Memoranda, a podcast by Gaia Legal for entrepreneurs seeking to nurture sustainable, scalable, and saleable small businesses that transform local communities from the inside out, specifically entrepreneurs who are working in the areas of education, holistic wellness, spirituality, and the environment. Here, we talk about life, law, and the earth. And in today's episode, I am going to just speak very briefly about the origin story of Gaia Legal, how I went from burnt out high school math teacher all the way to estate planning attorney, um, which for some people, that's a huge jump, an estate planning attorney dedicated to issues of education and the environment. And when I say environment, I mean specifically climate change, since that is my particular background and focus um, that I concentrated on in law school. And so while we were founded in 2022, the origin story really begins in 2014 as a 20-something who hated her career and left with no warning to pursue a dream that I didn't even know yet existed. So in 2010, I was a Teach for America Corps member. Teach for America is an organization, an AmeriCorps organization dedicated to creating educational equity by placing teachers in two-year commitments in the highest need communities. There's both inner city placements and rural placements. I grew up in a rural community, but I was placed in an inner city placement in Houston, Texas, both in Houston Independent School District. And then I went out and taught in suburbs for a while in Katy Independent School District. When I was in Houston Independent School District, my first year of teaching was in an alternative school. So not only in a difficult environment, the most difficult of the difficult environments. And then that school actually shut down the year um, after my first year. And I was moved to a different school who was originally named Robert E. Lee High School, ironically enough. And now they have changed the name to Wisdom High School, which also is a touch of irony in the entire situation. So I taught at those schools and then I went and I taught at Yes Prep Public Schools. I was a school leader there for a while. Um, and that's really where my story of burnt out because with my Teach for America background and my you know dedication to my craft and honing that over the years, I was quickly promoted from teacher to grade level chair, which is essentially like an assistant principal in the public school system. And then a dean of instruction, whereas working with adult leadership and coaching, instructional coaching, and then, you know, moving up into those in my mid twenties, you know, the, the um, director roles, and then ultimately the principal roles was the track I was on. But with every professional development and every movement along that track, I just felt more and more out of alignment. And really, I mean, quite frankly, what happened was I was up for a promotion to become a director level position. And, you know, on paper, and this is was the feedback, and I'll be quite frank with this feedback. On paper, it is what, you know, I was very well qualified to enter in that position, but something inside relationally, like I just did not vibe with the culture. And at that time, I didn't know how to articulate it. It was mostly an emotional feeling. Um, but it came out interviews and came out, sadly, <laughs> at the time in my attitude towards the work because I just didn't know how to to communicate in words or in needs what was going on inside. And so, of course, I did not. I was, you know, of the last two, I did not get the director position. I was the runner up. And quite frankly, I was relieved. Like I was upset because it was the first time in my life where I, you know, went through the process but didn't get promoted, which, you know, what a what a problem to have, Jackie. <laughs> but, it, it, you know, I was upset in that way. But then really, I wasn't like after I was denied that promotion, I was like, I kind of feel relieved. And I went back to my dean position. And I remember, you know, we went back to school the next year and I was sitting in 
this, you know, vision setting for the year and they're going over the goals. And I just felt like I philosophically disagree with like the direction this is heading. And it just really wore at me. And then I attended a career development workshop in the same week. And it was just like all the alarms were going off. Um, I had a relationship with a career coach that was delivering the presentation. And it was just like emotionally, I was like, this is the end of the road. But it was very hard for me to make the leap because logically speaking, I was like, you know, I have a great job. I can work at this. I can be promoted into a different director role and maybe a different functional area that's more suited to my strengths. And I just... I don't know. It was just a moment where I was like, I have to leave and I have to go back to be a teacher in a classroom in a different district because I just feel like this actual environment, I don't need to be here. This is not my home. This is not how I grew up. And the teachers that I coached and, you know, for myself, I was always a very strong believer that we need to live in the communities in which we teach. We need to incorporate ourselves into the fabric of these families and these lives because we are leading their children. We are we are watching over their children while their you know parents are out at work. And we need to be really embedded in the fabric of the community. And I just could not go there personally. And so I was thinking in my head, look, like I need to find a community, a more rural community, similar to how I grew up, because I understand the specific issues of that environment. I can speak to those issues from a place of authenticity, from a place of knowing. Um, I know theoretically, I know philosophically what's going on in this environment because in the inner city, because I can observe it. However, the emotional underpinning, the emotional congruence was not there for me. And so I was like, okay, that's how I ended up in Katie ISD because I was like, let me go somewhere more rural. And of course, when you transfer from a public charter school system to the traditional public school system, the promotion strategies are different and you have different certifications. So I just ended up back literally as a first year teacher after being, you know, almost a director level position at a very high performing charter school that's ranked in the U.S. world and news reports, so on and so forth. And so that in of, of itself was sort of a humbling experience, but I also was very um, relieved when I went back to become a teacher because I'm not responsible for anybody. I'm just responsible for myself, my lesson plans and my students. I can leave. I don't have to like stay to all, all hours of the night. So that was relieving. But I also felt like I just didn't have a purpose. Like I had, I was doing these things, but I wasn't in agreement with my purpose, which is a very common, I think, feeling for a lot of young people to have, especially in the twenties, if you're just going on this conveyor belt of what society parents are telling you to do or what you feel like they're telling you to do, even if they're not telling you to do, to do that in fact. So between me leaving my um, Dean of Instruction position and then going to become a teacher in KDISD, there was this moment there where just I just randomly left and I didn't know what I was going to do. And I remember the day that I gave my two weeks notice. Um, <laughs> I gave my two weeks notice, but I was asked to leave that day, which is fine. And so I did. But I really wanted to stay two weeks because I wanted to make sure like all the loose ends were tied up. And, you know, I was very fortunate to have relationships there where they stepped in and did that for me. But I don't know, psychically, mentally, it really messed with my mind. And I remember I went home, I was like crying in the car. I went home and I was like, I didn't know what to do. And <laughs> so I don't, don't know what to do. I always think about going to your closet and pray. So I like literally went into my closet and I don't think I was praying. I was just, just there like sobbing on the floor in the dark. And I was in an apartment at the time and there's this walk-in closet and there's some light coming in from the window and I was just like, 
on the floor, face down, like, God, I don't know what to do, is probably literally what I said in my mind. And then all of a sudden, I just heard this, like, space in my intuition say, go on Pinterest. And at that point, I was like, I'm going to do anything. Like, go on Pinterest is great. I need a break. Let me just, like, numb myself out and pin some pretty images. So, of course, I go on Pinterest. I start pinning my life away. And I see this ad um, for... Or I don't even know if it was an ad. It may have just been a pin for a documentary called The True Cost. And I'm like, okay, I haven't watched TV in a while. It was like really emotionally resonated with me. And I was like, okay, let me go watch this. I think I paid probably like the $20 to watch it. And it was an hour and a half or so. And when I watched that, I literally had different sorts of tears <laughs> coming, <laughs> streaming out of my eyes. I just felt so convicted because spending money on clothing... Just going to the mall constantly as like retail therapy was a big theme in my life that actually started in high school. Um, so in high school, you know, I was very bullied in middle school. And then when I became when I got to high school, boys started like paying attention to me. And I found that, oh, OK, if I dress a certain way on these days, I get more attention from boys. And if I don't dress this way. And so the way I dress and the way I communicated c communicated through like my energy was something that became kind of like an addiction or a drug. And it stayed that way in high school, then the whole way up to college, and even to that point. Um, and now, you know, I went through the capsule wardrobe thing, and now I, I like to dress because I, you know, I need to change it up, whatever. But if I wore the same thing every day, I would be fine. But at that moment in time, that was not the case. If I had, if I was going to wear the same thing every day, a la Steve Jobs, it, I just couldn't do it. Like there's something emotionally that I just couldn't shake. I had to continue like going to Forever 21, going to Zara, going to all these fast fashion outlets. And the whole message behind the true cost was that consider who's making your clothes. Consider where your clothes are coming from. I remember they showed a factory in Bangladesh like that was probably making clothes from uh, being sold to Forever 21 or the like. Don't quote me. I'm just assuming fast fashion in general. Um, and it's just like the whole factory like collapsed and people died. And it's just I kept thinking I was like, oh, my God, like I really don't know where my clothes come from. Like I really don't know the process of manufacturing and distribution and the materials that are being used. And, you know, my mind just like went and like thought about the whole thing. And I was so convicted. So I literally, again, tears, go back to my closet and I just stare. I, first of all, I had like hundreds of clothes in there. I was in a pageant. I was in Miss Texas. I had all those clothes from that um, in the early 2010s. And I had some clothes from high school still. And I remember just looking at that. I was like, what am I doing? Like, it was like the scales fell from my eyes. What am I doing? Why do I have all these brands in here? What's all this like cheap costume jewelry? Like, what am I doing? And that afternoon and over the course of that week I literally you know I donated my clothes I was like I need to start fresh which you know that's also waste I don't know if that was the best decision but regardless that's what I did I donated my clothes and I was like I need to start fresh mentally psychically like I need to have a wardrobe with intention so I found a girl online she had a blog at the time she may still have it um, it was called Unfancy. Maybe if you search it, it's still there. And she had a whole template about how to create a sustainable capsule wardrobe. And so I did her template and I got my colors together and I got my 30 items together. And it was really a process. I remember I got a garment rack and I was like, I'm not using my closet anymore. I'm only using this garment rack. And I started researching businesses and their practices and sustainability 
um, values. And over the course of, I think it took me two to three years to really practice and embed a true capsule wardrobe um, ritual into my life as the changing seasons um, and making sure that I was using my clothes until they could not be used anymore or repairing my clothes and buying higher quality items that could be repaired instead of lower quality items that may be cheaper in in the first instance. But actually, over the long term, you're spending more money, not just financially, but in terms of cost to others and doing harm to others in the environment um, by buying those cheap things over time. And so that's how my capsule wardrobe started. And I, I maintain that to this day, to this day, and it's become such a practice in my life that when I'm in periods of relative like high stress, I it starts showing up in my wardrobe. And I know that, okay, like I need to make sure that all of my items in my wardrobe are in you know, working condition. They're all repaired. Everything is altered um, too, because I'm a little bit more petite. You know, my pants, they're all altered. They're all tailored to what I need in this present moment. And it's kind of like my compass in an interesting way. So really, the capsule wardrobe started me on this path of being more intentional with my material resources. And then that spilled over into my apartment. And then through that, you know, we got our first home and went to my first home. I'd rather have an empty room than to buy something that was not bought with intention without me researching the material, the business, where it came from. I didn't care if my house was empty. I just wanted to make sure that every single piece of materiality that I brought into my life was forming a long-term relationship. All of my things, I think even today, like my kitchen, all of my utensils, this is a long-term relationship I'm getting into with my material possessions to make sure that I have exactly what I need, no more, no less. And through that process, you know, you're accumulating things and you're making sure you have exactly what you need. That's how I was led into environmental law in law school. Um, I took a lot of classes about the creative use of legal strategy to address issues of climate change. And I remember as I took like estate planning and wills and trust in law school, thinking how the estates code, when it comes to inequality, a lot of generational wealth is preserved through the techniques in the estate tax and business codes. And when we think about inequality, the people who are making decisions in our country, this is the United States, and the decisions um, that impact the rest of society are people who a lot of them do have generational assets and they do are being passed down and preserved over time where there's also another group of people of which I'm in a part of whose ancestors were the ones going to war, who don't have generational assets or who had lost them for lack of planning or lack of knowledge. And every generation with every child, we're starting fresh, we're recreating the wheel. So when I saw there's a group of people who really um, do well with this whole like recycling of material resource through generation. And then this whole group of people who just, they're in the probate court, they're in the guardianship courts. They're just this, that, and a third using the legal system to solve problems they could have been proactive about. Um, there's just this huge gap, a huge gap. And so coming out of law school, I um, went and I became an estate planning attorney first to get my own personal affairs in order because I did not come from a family who estate planned. And I had to learn all of that and learn the importance of establishing those foundations, especially for my children. And then um, 
going on from there. So tax and business planning came into the mix because tax planning is necessary for estate planning. It's very how you, tax is material resource, how you're using your money. And a lot of times, um, if once you get your your house in order, you're going to want to create business in service to the collective. So the business planning, small business planning, particularly for the people I serve, um, ends up in that mix. So that's basically the origin story for the firm that wasn't as concise as I would like it to be. However, um, it did start with my own personal story of career burnout, which again will be featured in a book in 2024, February, to be published by Hay House. Um, It is still being edited. And I'm just really excited to share that with you because a lot of what that book demonstrates I think at least how I I wrote it in the draft is how, you know, I was born into a certain time and place, location, economic status in this country. It came with advantages. It came with disadvantages. And throughout my life, I've been trying to fill the gaps with knowledge. And I have been given um, great grace and great support by the universe. I think that there have been times where I have been fortunate, where, um, other people may not have been and that I give great gratitude for. And for me, because I have been extra fortunate in certain areas, having a husband who allowed me to stay at home and basically work out all my traumas and and that he's an attorney. So I had all the money in which to do so. You know, I chose um, to invest in myself instead of buying the newest Louis Vuitton purse because, you know, I went through my capsule wardrobe journey. Instead of buying the newest Louis Vuitton purse, let me just you know, work on myself, fix my traumas. It came from a very rural area, all this religious trauma, um, family trauma, ancestral traumas that I was carrying in my body. I had a good like five, six, seven years to work through that, which a lot of mentors and support, the best that I could could have gotten, functional medicine doctors, all of these things. Um, and that all that costs money. And so for me, sharing that information in this book, at least the way it's written, how I submitted in the draft is just my way of giving back um, to others who may just need the steps. Like, here's what I went through. I did a lot of these discovery-based learning, and this is what I learned. And here are the people I went to. And there's a lot of people doing this at very high cost, but there's also a lot of people doing this for free. And how can we also, in my personal work now with Gaia Legal, how can we inspire, motivate, and give the tools and resources to people from similar backgrounds. We didn't come from generational wealth. We have a lot of of broken cycles in our ancestry. How can we close out those cycles? How can we repair? How can we set our families on a new path forward that not only lifts us up as an individual, as a family, but also transforms our communities from the inside out? And for me, it began with myself and getting in right relationship with the clothes of my body and then using that process to expand from there. So that is all I have for today's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in and I look forward to talking to you in our next episode. Have a wonderful day.